So Heavenly Father, we pray this morning, God, that we, that you would help us to come here and get encouraged, get fed, get strengthened up so that we could go out there and spread the love of Jesus and ignite the kingdom of God in our community, beginning here with Bakersfield, and then, of course, to California, to the United States. And as we know from our missionaries, we're also impacting the world. Thank you, God, for such a mission you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we're kind of preaching on the vision that we shared on October 10th, and one of them is called Gather. And if we could go, there we go. Uh, gather, give, grow, give and go. We're going to be talking about that this fall. And the first thing is, one of our evangelism challenges is to invite one person or family uh, to, to, a, to a church function. doesn't have to be to Sunday church, but to a church function over the next year. Uh, so if we, if we all did that, we would really be doing our part in terms of the gather part of the vision, in terms of reaching people. Pray for the person on your prayer board. Uh, if you go out on the prayer boards on the opposite side of this false wall, you'll see them. You can continue to add people if you want. It is really neat. Uh, if you go look at that, I mean, you guys did awesome. You guys exceeded my expectations. Uh, some of you, I, I noticed, put three, four, five. That's awesome. Uh, put as many as you want, and let's get that prayer board filled out because we are praying over that prayer board. And then host or attend one of the dinners for eight. Uh, those of you who signed up to be a host, we're going to be going over that ministry real soon here. And then, or start a, a, a group meeting in your own home where you're, you know, meeting people and getting people, get your friends and neighbors to come and begin to talk about spiritual things. So let's go to the next slide real quick. I want to play for you something. Uh, I was at a, a, a meeting, or no, no, I was listening to a podcast, and uh, this person had mentioned a TV show from, I think, the 80s, I think. Uh, maybe from the 70s. And when you hear the song, it sounds like a 70s song. But I kind of remember the show, and I don't remember the 70s. I'm sorry, I was... I was, I was uh, <laughs> I was not high, I was young. <laughs> um, and so, so the 70s, you know, I'm sure I, I know I lived it because I was born in 75, but I remember the 80s. And I remember this show on TV. My family didn't watch it, but I know what it's generally about. So I want you to hear the theme song real quick and maybe you'll remember what it is. Um, but it's the theme song to the TV show Cheers. Now again, while we didn't, why, I don't remember us watching it, uh, I, I did some research on it, and it's about a bar in Boston. And so I'm like, okay, big deal. It's, it's, it's about a bar in Boston. But the, the interesting thing is the point of the show wasn't necessarily just, you know, drinking and getting drunk. I don't know if that was, that was the point of the show at all. But it was about the relationships that happened there. And, and it was Francis Chan, one of the things he said on his podcast was, it's so amazing the similarities between the church and a bar. And he said, just look at the theme song. When you listen to the theme song for Cheers, it's a lot of what everybody in church is often seeking. Taking a break from all your worries, sure would help a lot.
Some of us know it. But, you know, some of the lyrics that stand out, you want to be where the troubles are all the same. What do we always say? We're all on the journey of brokenness together here. We all, we all belong at the foot of the cross equally. Uh, none of us are, uh, you know, have, can climb higher on that cross than the rest of us. You know, you want to be where everyone knows your name, a place to belong and to feel like you belong. And that's the heart of the culture I really want to build here is the sense of this is a place where we can come and be together, know each other by name. You know, not just, oh, yeah, that person that sits over there or that person that usually sits there, but to actually get to know each other. Part of the gathering is not just coming, but coming with the heart that we need to know and we need to get to know everybody because that's a person that is made in God's image and if they're special enough to God to stamp his personal image on them, they're special enough for us to get to know people. Amen? <clears throat> Seems like almost every year our culture is changing and changing and changing. It's harder for the generations to get to know people like they once did. What's kind of made sense five years ago can somewhat be confusing today. And I admit sometimes that I look at the church and I kind of wonder, are we doing a 20th century format in a 21st century world? Well, God's answer to keeping current is having kids. <laughs> I was listening to my kids listening to a song, a song by Lecrae called The Church Clap. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Uh, you can Google it. But I, I'm listening to the song. I didn't know it was by a Christian rapper named Lecrae, and I didn't know it was anything about church. But as I'm listening to these lyrics, I'm, I'm like, what in the world are you listening to? And he kind of looked at me and said, you know what? I don't think you'll like it, Dad. This is, this is Christian, you know? I don't think you'll like it, Dad, you know? And, you know, I'm like, what, does it have too many big words? Obviously not. No, Dad, it's just more for my generation. And then he said the sentence you never say to a pastor. Dad, I just don't think you'll understand. All right. Them's fighting words for a pastor. All right. It's our understanding is our job, right? You know? So now all of a sudden, while I was disinterested and was kind of passing by, now I'm in there and I'm like, I am going to digest this like a half pound hamburger. And so, so, you know, and I admit it, I kind of got completely lost. Uh, what Lecrae was saying wasn't really against the Bible per se, um, but I just wasn't tracking with all the word pictures and the rap. Can you play it, Justin? All right, here's, here's what I saw. See if you can get it better than me.
enough that's enough so so I think I think you know yeah I know I mean hey for some people this is their thing and they if I watched that a lot I would get it and like it but everything's happening so fast when you got ADHD you got to have it in nice sequential order you know you can't have a bunch of things flashing at you all at once so he could tell. I'm like sitting there going, what? You know, I don't get it. But God was using this as a lesson to me. I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit so that I continually reach out to the generations that are coming up. Because, man, for them, for, for my kids and for that, I mean, they, they, they get it. You know, they worship God. And, and I can see it gets them in the mood, you know, even to go to church. And so that's part of what, Part of our, my, my hope for our gathering portion is that we don't just gather for the sake of gathering, but that we are filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit in seeing God draw people back into his church. Donald Miller, who's a contemporary Christian author, he wrote a book. Donald Miller was raised in an evangelical Christian family, and he almost lost his faith. And he said, and this is a quote, he said, and I think I have this up on the screen, too much of our time is spent trying to chart God on a grid and too little is spent allowing our hearts to feel awe. By reducing Christian spirituality to a formula, we have deprived our hearts of awe and wonder. Ask yourself, when's the last time you had a moment of awe and wonder when you thought about God? Miller goes on to say, I love how the Gospels start. This is Miller, quoting Miller. He says, I love how the Gospels start with John the Baptist eating bugs and baptizing people. He says, the religious leaders started to get baptized simply because it had become popular. And John yells at them and says that the water won't do anything for them. It'll only get them wet because religion was only a set of rituals for them. It can become a false gospel that leads us astray. He said, and he, and he describes what happens when Christianity becomes a religion and it's no longer a relationship with God. He says, there's no wonder. There's no awe. And there's no kingdom life burning in our chest. If I have to be honest, like most people at my stage of life, someone who's pushing 50, I've got tons of concerns that I now think about. I have obligations and responsibilities, promises to keep, bills to pay, kids to raise, a marriage to invest in, meetings to attend, and a to-do list that, let's face it, never really ever gets done. And so I can so quickly fall into the emptiness of ritual myself. And I was asking God this week, even if I was writing this sermon, God, I want something more. I want something more than to wake up, to go to work, to comb home exhausted, watch a few, an hour or two of TV, 
and go to bed. I want something more. There's got to be more than life than feeling little more than a battery. And I feel like God has said, if you pray that, I'll hold you to it. I'm going to give you something more. And the more he'll give me, hopefully, I'm praying, will result in that sense of awe to be caught up once again in the wonder of Elohim, God Almighty. Amen? If you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, you can't find a more awesome and wonderful event that happens in the scriptures, I mean, equal, at least some you can find equal to, uh, the day of Pentecost, when God begins the church and outpours his spirit on the apostles. They had waited in Jerusalem, like Jesus had commanded from what we talked about last week, Acts chapter one. They waited in Jerusalem. They were uh, praying uh, in the room, and as they were praying, uh, there came like a mighty rushing wind, was the Holy Spirit, uh, coming into the room, and then uh, tongues of fire began to rest on each of them. They began to speak in tongues, languages they had not learned, and they went out, and, and these langu- some of these languages they had not learned were the languages of the, of the foreign people uh, who were there to celebrate the Pentecost in Jerusalem. And so uh, there was a great big hullabaloo because they're hearing the glories of God in their native language, and their first question is, what does this mean? And so when they're asking, what does this mean? Peter's going to stand up, and, he's, and we're just going to get about seven verses here, but he's going to stand up and give one of the most amazing sermons you'll ever find in the Bible. We're going to get the first part of it. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd, and he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. These people were so filled with the Holy Spirit that like cheers in a bar, it looked like they were drunk. That's how excited and exuberant, how much filled with the awe of God they had in them. So Peter would say, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. I never understood why he said that. I know many people who I've seen drunk at nine o'clock in the morning, so it's not beyond all reason that there aren't drunk people at nine o'clock in the morning. But for some reason, he felt like that would be convincing. So he said, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. He says, no, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And now he quotes Joel. In the last days, what does the last days mean? The, the days right before uh, God comes and returns and sets up his personal rule on his planet. You can't see God now. You will see him then. You know, so, so, that, that's, so the last days right before uh, the return of Christ. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billow, billows of smoke. I know this is very apocalyptic. I, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Let me say again, there's, there's nothing anybody here can do 
to speed that up, to slow it down. God has this time period that he will pick and he will do it and, and we don't have the power to alter this in any way. I say that because one of my kids said that in the, I guess in the Terminator series, that was the whole point of the Terminator series, was to try to delay Judgment Day, okay? We, that won't happen. God has set, he set the time, he set the table. Our job during this time is to definitely, <laughs> that's the time you want to be in full obedience to the Lord, but also we're going to want to be reaching as many people as possible. And in verse 21, he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to break down for you what is perhaps one of the most important sentences in the Bible. Let that sink in for a moment, because I really, (laughs) one of the most important sentences in all the Bible. I will pour my spirit. I will pour my spirit. When God says, I He's talking about the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? No matter how the world looks, no matter who seems tough, no matter who's got the most nuclear missiles, no matter who's got the best economy, no matter who's got whatever this or that, God is in control. God is above all human governments. God is above all satanic forces. When God says, I, the sovereignty of God, he can do it because he is the highest power in all the universe. So he says, I will pour. He's not delegating this to an angel. He's not delegating this in any sort of way. This is something God will personally do inside of you. Will is the determination of God. There is nothing that can stop this outpouring. I will pour my spirit. When he says pour out, that speaks to the generosity of God. We're not just talking about a trickle. We're talking about a flood. I got that this week from Elena Rusk. I have to admit that. You know, she was uh, she does the radio weather. Maybe she does, still does TV. I don't know, but but she does the radio, and she said that she said we're not talking about a trickle here. We're talking about a flood. When it, she was talking about the where it has been burned, you know, the, and and the rain hits it. So I thought that's that's a good way to describe the pouring out of God's spirit. We're not talking about a trickle. We're talking about a flood. And then of course my spirit. The personality of God. Why is that important? Because unlike Star Wars, which is an impersonal force, God himself, the personal being of God, it's not a power that we get. It's not a force that we get. It's not an ability. that was, It's not ESP. It's not any of that stuff. It is the full personality of our creator dwelling inside of us. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God doesn't say, to your strength, I will add my strength. And thank God he doesn't. He says, and what he, you know what he actually says? To the weakness of your flesh, I will pour out my strength. And it's for all people, regardless of class, status, or gender. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the Holy Spirit's power is reserved only for religious professionals. You don't have to go to Bible school to get this. You don't have to go to seminary to experience the Holy Spirit's power. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate. We do, but the Holy Spirit doesn't. And so we've got to overcome our problem to discriminate because God doesn't. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of sex. He says, your sons and your 
daughters will prophesy. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of age. He says, your old men will what? Dream dreams. And your young men will see vision. Those generational edges have got some great things going on there. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of social class. Even upon my servants, right? I will pour out my spirit. By the way, the word servants there, in the English, it's being very nice. If we were to truly translate it for the word it is, the word would be slaves. So God doesn't pick his friends because they're men or because they're young or because they come from the better parts of downtown. He'll hang out with anybody who's willing to hang out with him. No matter where you came from, how you got there, or how much of a loser you feel at life at times. So if you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip over that sheet. We're going to fill out just a couple of quick things. And, and these are things I really felt the Holy Spirit just kind of popped. I've read this sermon probably 50 times. Some I've had to for school, some I did for other sermons. And so uh, having read it 50 times, I felt the Holy Spirit really popping out some things I had never noticed before. And the first thing is this. Don't react when people ridicule your relationship with Jesus. You see what they're trying to get Peter to do? Oh, Peter, y'all are drunk. Y'all are a bunch of lushes. Y'all, ha- y'all didn't realize that the bars close at two, not nine, you know. They're trying to get Peter riled. This isn't uh, something that's genuine of God. This is, it's just the liquor talking. It's just Jack giving a little bit of courage, you know. And so, and I, be honest with you, that might ruffle me a little bit where I might be a little stronger than, uh, uh, no, they're not drunk. (laughs) I might be, you know, there's this little fighter guy in me that when I'm ridiculed, I want to attack back. I think Peter's exemplifying something for us here. We're we're not going to reach anybody if we're too thin-skinned to not take a little bit of ridicule every now and then. The world in general believes in something called secular humanism. Secular humanism teaches this. There may or may not be an afterlife. That's kind of unknowable. But if there is... If you're generally a good person, then you'll probably go to heaven. And if you're hideously evil, you'll probably end up in hell. Since most people tend to think of themselves better than they are, <laughs> you know, nearly all secular humanists believe that there is, if there is a heaven, they'll go there. Enter Jesus. He says, nope, you need help. You can't enter heaven as you are. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says, I had to die to fix the problem. But if you trust in me, I can get you there. For the majority of the world that believes in secular humanism, it sounds ridiculous to believe in a Jesus you cannot see, who we claim is alive, and we still cannot see, right? It sounds absolutely ridiculous. This is why that sentence, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh, makes total sense. 
Don't look for Jesus walking on the clouds. Look for Jesus in Mark Christian. Look for Jesus in Joy Wright. Look for Jesus in Rachel Duvall because that's God's strategy. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Is that going to be ridiculed by people who don't believe in things they cannot see or touch or measure in a microscope? Maybe. And don't react to that. The Holy Spirit through you will start turning light bulbs on. And when they do, you'll be so glad you didn't pick an endless debate with that person, but you just love them into the kingdom. Number two, don't waste time insulting different spiritualities. I, I had, Not often, but over the last 11 years I've been here, every now and then I'll get an email. Why don't you attack those, you know, Jehovah's Witness? Why don't you really go after those Baha'is? Why don't you, you know, we really need to just, you know, start destroying these. I don't see what I don't see what Peter does. Peter doesn't start men of Israel. Your rituals are false. They will lead you to hell and you're all idiots. You know, he doesn't start that way. <laughs> he he doesn't start that way at all. He, he he starts he starts very brotherly with them. I've seen people that try to witness by insulting another person's past. I mean, forget other religions. I mean, just things people were into or may still be into. And when you start with insults, I can just tell you this right now, it doesn't work. You gotta show people the genuine love and power of God working through you. You think about the story of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and says, how do I get to heaven? Jesus' answer was, keep the commandments. He said, I am. He said, okay, well, go sell everything you have and come follow me. I can't do that. Jesus never ridiculed him as he walked away. Jesus turned and went on with his mission, and the young man went away and probably thought for the rest of his life if he made the right decision. I'm holding out that that dude changed his mind and that we're going to meet him one day. I'm holding out for that because I think that struggle you know, was in all of us. You sell everything, you know? So, I mean, anyway, that's off, that's off topic. Let's get back. Rabbits are coming back. All right. Number three, the proof of the resurrection is in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. If I were to get you all into a room and say, how would you tell me that Jesus is alive? How would you prove that? You know, some of you may say, well, I guess maybe if Jesus spoke through you something I'd never told somebody, and you, like, accessed Jesus and was able to tell me that, that would prove he's alive. Okay, that's one thing. Other people said, well, if Jesus showed up and had dinner with us, you know, that'd be one thing. In fact, many of the answers we'd have are exactly what happened to the apostles after the resurrection. Before Pentecost, Jesus was there physically with them and did all of those things that we would say. Post-Pentecost, yeah, they get visions of Jesus. They have theophanies of Jesus. Theophanies are appearances of Jesus. But he's not walking and living with them like he did before. Why? 
because the greater witness would be through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through their lives. When Peter and John walked up to the temple a few days after Jesus' ascension, they saw a blind man. I'm, I'm sorry, an, an, um, what do you call them? Uh, he was lame, yeah, like a paralytic. And it was very interesting. When they, when they went to heal him, they didn't say, okay, we're waiting for Jesus to appear. He's going to appear any moment right here, and he's going to heal you, you know. Come on, Jesus. We know you can go through doors and walls. You know, where are you? Jesus, we're waiting for you. Wait, wait. No, they didn't do that at all. They said, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then the Holy Spirit spread throughout the church. Instead of having one Jesus at one place and one time, you have a church that's all over the world ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound like a better plan? I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I think it sounds like a much better plan. We get so used sometimes to hearing the fact that we have God in our hearts. I see this a lot of times in, like, sometimes in my kids, but even in my friends. Hey, man, ain't it great to have God in your heart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's a thought we get used to. We've said it so much, we've believed it for so long. We've lost the awe and the wonder of it. Close your eyes for a moment, everybody. When you breathe out, take a deep breath that lasts about seven seconds. Count to seven in your head as you breathe in. And breathe out. Do it again. Again, one more time. Just clear out all the, all the clutter. Now, I want you to remember for a moment the Spirit of God is in you, around you, above you, below you. His Spirit is protecting our planet. There will not be a comet that destroys this world unless God lets it by. There will not be a solar flare that cooks half the planet unless God lets it cook. We dwell within his presence. And he's here this morning. He hears you. He sees you. He loves you. Just get caught up in the wonder of that for a moment. Set aside all the doubts and unbeliefs and just get caught up in the wonder that he is here with us, loving us. And then finally, my final point is this. You can open your eyes. The outpouring of the Spirit results in bold confidence Bold confidence. Peter stood up and preached a sermon that probably could have got him killed. But he did it anyway. There was a bold confidence. Do you know what bold confidence looks like in a person? Sometimes you may think bold confidence looks like this. Yeah, 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 we're going to win. We're going to do it. Duh! Looks like bold confidence, right? Bold confidence is best expressed like this. There's one God, and Jesus is his son. Bold confidence actually has more of an attribute of peace rather than aggression. 
bold confidence has the fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace and patience. People who are patient are confident people. And if, if COVID has shaken your confidence a little bit, God's solution is to have his spirit poured afresh upon you. Because when we start freaking out, wigging out, na, 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 we're not in a bold confidence. We're in a terrified rage. Bold confidence is when, what did Jesus say? When they're accusing you, you can just stand back and just wait for the Holy Spirit to speak through you. You don't got to wig out and freak out. When Jesus was on trial, did he freak out? He knew it was coming. He still didn't freak out. Why? There was a bold confidence that what he knew to be true was true. And so, you know, that's, that's the blessing that we receive when we have an outpouring of the Spirit. There's a man by the name of Fritz Chrysler. He was a world-famous violinist. And he earned a small fortune, but he was very generous, and he gave most of his money away. Seriously. He finally discovered that there was an exquisite violin called a Stradivarius. Anybody know what that is? That's a very uh, pop, uh, very valuable violin, I am told. And so, because he gave all his money away, he had to do some more concerts. He built up some of his money so that he could buy this violin. But when he went to the store that was selling it, the store said, well, I already sold it to a collector. He said, oh, man, he said, I'll tell you who the collector is. Maybe you can go buy it from him. So he got the name of the collector, and he went to the guy's house, knocked on the door. He said, hey, this is my name, Fritz Kreitzler. He said, oh, I know who you are. You're a violin player. Yeah, he said, I know you bought that Stradivarius. Would you be willing to sell it? The collector said, absolutely not. Fritz Kreisler looked at him and said, well, before it is consigned to silence, would you let me play it one more time? He said, all right, one last time. Fritz Kreisler started to play that violin, and as he played it, the collector began to break down in tears. And he was so moved by the music that he looked at Fritz Chrysler and he said, I have no right to keep that to myself. He said, take this into the world and let people hear it. That's what we do with our relationship with God. Take it into the world and let people hear it and see it, and experience it. Amen?